0: Hello, and happy new year. It's Ringer FC, the first edition of 2018. I'm Ryan O'Hanlon. I've got ice bags on both of my Achilles, because I played 180 minutes <laughs> over the past three days. Joined by Chris Ryan, beneficiary of the Ringer's holiday rotation policy. That's right. After a, a nice stretch in Abu Dhabi, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Donnie Kwok, who took a break from sending a hate mail to Mike Dean to record this podcast.
1: I never complain about holiday madness.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say off the top that... I I really love the festive season, man. I know it's not good for these guys, and I'm sure England will go out in the, uh, like, if they get out of the groups, they'll go out in the first round of the knockouts of, but man, having, like, three football matches a day, every day is pretty awesome. It's been amazing, and it, you know,
0: the Liverpool-Arsenal game to start it off was just incredible, and then... It's been so fun, but you know now it's like you look through the Guardian homepage and it's like every team is suffering from multiple injuries. All the managers are losing their minds. Yeah,
2: I feel like it was just it's uh, you can opt out of certain days. Like you can just feel the day of zero zero zeros coming, Mm -hmm. and just you know go go take advantage of some sales. (laughs) Yeah, in brick and mortar retail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the fixture holiday fixture list isn't
0: actually over. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Couple games going on. Um, that could. Sort of change what we're talking about, but not much. Um, so we want to just jump into some overreactions as we always do from the holiday uh, festive period. First one: Virgil van Dijk is the next friends Beckenbauer.
2: I think we should let a non Liverpool fan <laughs> talk about this first. Yeah, here.
1: If by Beckenbauer you mean Lavrin, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Danny, no, I
1: mean, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. No, uh, uh, you know we talked about this as it was happening, and I think the $75 million price tag was the major talking point because it wasn't a surprise. We all knew that the player wanted to go to Liverpool. Liverpool wanted the player. Uh, I was kind of uh, needling you guys a little bit because both of you guys were defending the move, which I get it, it's a defensible move because you got a player that you need. But I remember in uh, transfer saga's past how you guys would laugh when Someone like Thomas Lamar, his price would double overnight. But the difference is, of course, Arsenal doesn't get the player. And and Jose Mourinho actually, in commenting about this move, said ultimately it's all about getting the player, which I agree with. And and the price at that point is just the market, and it's kind of moot once the deal is done.
2: I think that obviously I just don't care. It's not my money. <laughs> yeah. If they can afford it, if this isn't like augur some sort of leads like collapse through the, the the leagues then i really don't care what they pay if they feel like this is the guy they wanted if Klopp has had tunnel vision for van dyke for such a long time and he's identified him as the perfect center back for the way he wants to play it's the weakness of the team i think arguably aside from keeper and i i don't i don't i don't care about the fee i do think to to sort of not agree with donny but to just sort of put out a word of caution <laughs> yeah is I don't really understand how transfers are going to work going forward.
0: It's it's tough. So we're a couple minutes basically before we started recording. The Guardian put out a story saying that Liverpool is going to demand uh, 130 million pounds for Philippe Coutinho. You know, there's not much new information other than it says that. A deal could be struck for Coutinho to leave this summer, but they could strike the deal now. But supposedly Coutinho actually wants to leave in January. Who knows? Does Ni- Nike wants Coutinho. Yeah, to leave exactly. In Nike <laughs> who uh, just leaked a Coutinho to Barcelona announcement over the weekend accidentally. Um, so it's hard to. So the Neymar move happened. That's
2: what we're all sort of still talking about, right? The crazy Neymar move happened this summer. Um, And the move that they mentioned in this Guardian piece that I think is kind of important here is the Dembele move, where Barcelona sold Neymar but then bought Dembele for however much money, 90-something.
0: Yeah, a little bit less than what Liverpool wants for Coutinho. So Barcelona hasn't spent all of the Neymar money, right? And so there's a chance that the Van Dyke money is Liverpool spending the Coutinho money before Mm -hmm. they actually get it, right? Um, And if that's the case, the Van Dyke move is going to be this sort of spike and the Coutinho move is going to be a spike but I think once that money gets sort of parceled out to everyone, I don't know if I
2: see these prices staying that high. That's the thing I'm trying to figure out is because if you're so they, they want more money for Coutinho than Barca paid, than them, them Dortmund got for Dembele. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So they pay 75 for Van Dyke. How much will Spurs demand for Alder wild. You know what I mean? Like well yeah. I mean, well, when does well, if you keep if you say like well if the, if this is like a baseball style market where there are people like like if you sub in Jorge Mendez for Scott Boris and they're like this guy sets the market. You know, I now this center backs who are under 30 who are this good make this are, are worth this much money. I don't understand what you're gonna do if, if Banucci moves. You yeah, know what I mean? I know Benucci's a little older, but like I what do you do when you get like I mean, this kid Umtiti from from uh Barcelona, like he has a fifty million buyout, but he looks better than all these guys. Yeah,
0: so if you if you judge it that way and Umti has that buyout, it's like someone should just pay the buyout. Right. You know? right.
1: Well that's part of the reason why the Van Dyke thing is so it's such an outlier because it's you can sort of justify these prices for, like, Coutinho or, or Neymar or Mbappe because you're buying not only offense but potential. And this is, like, a need yeah. buy at that premium price, which does, as you're saying, Chris, like, it, it, it begs the question of, like, how much these other defenders are going to be worth moving forward.
2: Like, yeah. how much would you pay for Varane right now? Would you pay 150 for him? <sighs> would you pay 125 for Varane? The, the, that's the hard thing with this. It's, like
0: one as we've talked about many times it's so hard to know how good a defender is because defenders you know if you're an attacking player you get the ball at your feet you do the stuff you're good at and it creates it creates problems for the opposition defender you're so you're playing a reactive position so you're at the whims of the system you're playing in so like it's so hard to even know how a player translates from one system to the, to the next mm-hmm. so
1: that's the thing. So, if you buy a defender at this price, ultimately the success is—I mean, success is ultimately determined in football by winning trophies. But if you buy a very exciting offensive player, you're at least pleasing the fans, you're selling shirts, and you're making things interesting. If you buy a defender for that price, you better win something. So yeah, that's I think of, that's
2: what Liverpool is hoping. I mean, ultimately, the, go- the goal here is that this is their this is their Rio Ferdinand. That this is the huge outlay for a central defensive player. Uh, a defensive back who is going to be the iconic back line for this team, and over the next ten years.
1: Yeah, no pressure, no pressure. Vern. Well, I mean, like, but I mean,
2: that's then that's the only explanation for why they didn't have a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D because they obviously didn't when it came to center back. No, and they that that's
0: like we said that's why they paid so much because this is the guy they wanted. They didn't. They could have when they failed to get him this past summer. They could have just got another center back mm-hmm. you know and they didn't do that so I think I guess Klopp or in Liverpool probably look at it as if our center back situation is fine but if we get Van Dyke, then that is like the one sure way we feel confident that we will 100% upgrade it um, but it's just it's just so hard to know what defenders I think if we could talk about the player a little bit I think he's the thing you see in him is There are no, not really that many stats that you can apply to defenders um, to sort of like in any confident way. But he's one of the best players in the Premier League since he's been in the league at winning aerial duels. So every time you go up for a header, the percentage that he wins it, he's one of the best. And Liverpool are terrible when balls are played Mm -hmm. in the air. So at least that (laughs) addresses the you know core issue with the team. And then he has all you know he's pretty good with the ball at his feet. So he has. Sort of so you, got, pl- you got
1: basically the Dutch Mustafi,
0: <laughs> oh <my laughs> a few inches
2: taller. Yeah, uh, we're gonna try to sell him to Inter Milan next summer. Also, <laughs> here's the question I wanted to ask you, Ryan. Yeah, would you rather have paid 75 for Virgil Van Dyke or say, I, I have no idea, but like say 45 or 50 for Jan Oblak from Atletico Madrid?
0: Could still get him though, right? Could we? I think I would. I think I would have uh, went for the goalkeeper. Yeah. Just because it seems like such an obvious, like an obvious thing that we know that they can fix, like as Donnie mentioned with Laverin like Lovren was supposed to be Van Dyke when he came mm-hmm. over, right? And he's looked like a complete mess most of the time he's been on the team, and so does that speak to Lavrin's failings as an individual, the system's failings, and you know we've seen Minula just give up goals basically and every time a ball And we've put seen
2: Ederson essentially, I mean, aside from the fact that they're one of the great attacking teams in the history of the sport, yeah. we've seen Ederson basically provide that six-point to nine-point cushion for City yep. that they didn't have last season. Now,
1: I don't know what the transfer value is, but if you turn Coutinho, which you're saying is up about $130 million, into Van Dijk and Oblak, and you have Keita coming next year, that's a pretty, you know, you've just solidified your spine in one fell swoop.
2: And you get like 10 games at Jordan Henderson every year. That pretty much, that's the trouble right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then Marco Griech will finally
0: uh, ease into the team as well. All right, we'll 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 move on uh, to the second overreaction. This one is, it's unfortunate that Mike is not here for this. Um, or is it
2: incredibly fortunate? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's
0: true. Uh, Jose Mourinho is having his third season a year early.
2: Um, yes, I think this is happening. I, you know, I I would love to um, I would love to suggest otherwise, mm-hmm. but uh, the turning the guns on himself stuff is very, uh, like so Jose looking to go immolation mm-hmm. right now. So the idea that he's not only attacking. You know, uh, referees and he's attacking his players, which is usually, I think we like to think that Jose never does that because at Chelsea, that was apparently one of the things that really solidified his relationship with his players is his just absolute and total refusal to ever blame them for anything that was going yeah. on and protect them. And then also create all these diversions so that people didn't ever say, like, oh, John Terry has been bad for six games. He'd be like, no, what's wrong is, you know, David Cameron's policy on mm-hmm. this. Uh, <laughs> The fact that he's attacking his own players and that he's attacking club legends, which I find bizarre. You know, I mean, there's a lot of Manchester United players who are pundits, so I guess that that is, it's inevitable that that's going to come up, but he could just ignore it. He could just say Paul Sculls is entitled to his opinion. He's a Manchester United legend. Yeah. But this is, this is a title winning team going up against a historical juggernaut. And this is, and this is how he's reacting to it.
0: Yeah. The... The thing I would say to it being his third season is, one, uh, I thought we were sort of advanced with this take, but then I found someone at The Guardian wrote, has Jose Mourinho already got third season syndrome at Man U last season.
2: Interesting. <laughs> so just in case so I can, mean, kind of... No, in case people don't know, it's like the Jose goes in three season cycles. He shows up, starts to fix things, he wins the title in the second season, and sometime during the third season he completely implodes and gets fired or quits. Yeah. You've, ba-
1: seen, you've seen his legendary press conference where he addresses this, right? Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, well, watch it when you can. He basically goes through his whole CV and talks about what trophies he won in his respective third seasons at Porto. Uh, Chelsea inter etc it's funny
0: uh I think at Chelsea he made it to the fourth year but then left like right at the beginning of the season that's the only yeah it kind was of... like
2: 10 games in or 12 games in or something like that
0: yeah um so I guess what you know so United have three wins in seven one win and then one in their last four they've played one top six team man City during that stretch so they haven't even the issue with this is that Men you kind of we know that they sort of shut down shop when they play the top six teams, and they're not going to like win five games against the top six just by virtue of the way Mourinho plays, mm-hmm. you know. So Lukaku's injured, Ibrahimovic is injured. They're now, you know, far, first five games of the season, we were thinking they might be the best team in the league. But um, this is they, the
1: thing; it's like the the byproduct. Of holiday fixture congestion is that the narrative changes so quickly because mm-hmm. just yes, you know yesterday they beat Everton two 0 you know I mean they didn't do anything in the first half but in the second half they really came alive and when I was watching it I was like hmm, maybe in the same way that Palace opened up a little bit when Benteke got hurt I'm I'm, I'm thinking here's Lingard and Marshall Marshall like actually doing really well and with freedom to roam around and it's a different look and. Jose was ebullient in the post-game interview because his team played really well. And it's like, all of a sudden, the three draws that they just had kind of go away because, you know, that's kind of what happens when you have a game every three days. It's like, everything changes. That's true, but but I would say that, you know,
0: it's kind of... I think De Gea has sort of obscured this, but the attack with the team has not, not ever been the issue. I think we've... Harped on Lukaku going through cold stretches. Um, it's the defense is just like the goals given up numbers are still pretty good, but they're just still giving up so many shots, and it just doesn't seem. If a team's giving like up that last.
2: The, the amount of shots that United is giving up, is that an issue with shutting down chance creation? So like they need a more stout defensive midfield, or Maddich needs help, or is it literally the backline?
0: Uh, I think it's both because I. I personally, you know, Madish looked good the first couple of games but he's been fine, you know, since he's come back he's not the like playing him with Pogba you need him to be the guy that he was what was that 2014 yeah and he's just not that and I think you know you can look at the numbers a little bit so they're 26 or 27 expected goals they've given up 16 goals so that's it's not that you can give up a lot of shots but still have a pretty good defense mm-hmm. Athletic Madrid you know does that Burnley um But they're giving up high quality chances, and like like we said, it wasn't like like they only gave up one goal. Arsenal, but that defense was a nightmare in Mm -hmm. that game. De Gea bailed them out, and maybe some wayward finishing from Arsenal. So I think it's seeing a Mourinho team struggle defensively, and he's changing the back line basically every every game. It seems like because he's unsatisfied, because he's rotating. I think he's just trying to figure out who he wants to be in.
1: Lindelof's coming around, and Baye's coming back. Lindelof. So
0: the other thing is Baye. A lot of this can be traced back to Baye getting injured,
2: but should Baye be that important? to Also, isn't Baye injured? He's like their company. He gets injured once a year now, right? Yeah, or at least for the two years he's been at United, I think he's gotten some significant injuries, right? Yeah, I don't know. I you know I I don't like to be hearing you talk about the um, the defensive numbers makes me question this take. But I was just going to say that to me, Mourinho's style of play does not suit chasing a leader. It suits fending off the competition. So it's almost like he's a guy who I would give a seven point or a six point lead in the league to and just trust that he would never relinquish it. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that he can make up seven or nine points and take chances. And, And I think that I think that this is one of those things where it's gonna we're gonna look back on that this United team like the way you look at say the Thunder teams against the Warriors over the last couple of years where they're very 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 good. Mm-hmm. It's just that they happen to be going up against a team that is up there with you know the 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 messy Xavi Yesta Barcelona teams in terms of their production. Yeah, I think it's possible, but it's tough. Man City sort of
0: skews everything in mm-hmm. a way, and it's impossible to. Because even the like, United spends the same amount of money as Man City. That thing is like, Pep has still, and the team itself has taken, they're, they're level three levels above what you would expect for a team that's that spends that much money too. So even if Mourinho is kind of like maximizing his talent, maybe they still wouldn't be close to City. Sure, you know, sure. But at the same time, so. 538. their projection has City finishing with 99 points, Chelsea at 80, Liverpool at 78, Man U at 76, Tottenham at 74, Arsenal at 73. So I think a lot of the projections are saying that City's, Man U's actually going to slow down their points per game pace over the rest of the year, which is concerning.
2: I think one thing that you could also talk about a little bit is, you know, because I think that there is some rumblings underneath the surface about a power struggle between Mourinho and Edward Woodward, and yeah. Mourinho's feeling like, he is or isn't getting the players that he wants, but just based on who he's brought in, there is a little bit of Doc Rivers to the way he put together this United <laughs> team in terms of getting guys that he's played who've played with him before. Um, I, I, you know, like since he's been at Manchester United, he's bought Pogba, Lukaku, Matic, and Bayi, and Lindelof. I don't really have a problem with any of those buys. No. I think you we might wind up going back and being like, yeah, Maddish is the one that you probably needed more cover for. You, you yeah. know, spending 44 million on him and you kind of wonder whether or not, why did Chelsea do that? You know, like what did they know that that that, that Mourinho didn't? Yeah. And it's, I, we should give Mourinho credit for,
0: like Lingard looks incredible this season and I think Mourinho has a history of sort of turning those wide attacking players into like really productive players. Um but it's, it's concerning to me that, like, Ander Herrera is, I don't even know what he is at this point. He's, like, a guy that fouls people a lot yeah. and complains all the time and is not, like, a guy who seems like he should be, He two years ago we were, we both were, like, we would take him on Liverpool in a second. He yeah. seems like a guy that could easily be starting for the best team in the league. And now it's, like, that's not the case at all. So the other thing is, like, Seeing the way the players are, are not developing at Man U, I think, probably concerns some people.
1: You just named one, though, Lingard. And that's the thing. People always say that Pep develops players and Jose doesn't, and then you can't ignore one, right? Yeah, I think it's just,
0: you know, you see the guys, every guy is basically flourishing at City. And then seeing one guy at United flourish is is the where people get upset.
1: Um, right. I mean, again, though, like you said, the specter of Man City and their excellence... This colors everything because if you, t- were told at the start of the year that, you know, United would be forty-seven points, three losses only. I mean, that's good. That's eleven points better than they were at this stage last year. So
2: yeah, I think the other thing that, and we can move on, but the other thing that like just lingers over United and is always going to linger over United until they bring in a lot of silverware is just this idea of of. W- what the team is supposed to be because of what people's attachment to the Ferguson teams are yeah. and even if those Ferguson teams were actually a lot more cynical than we remember and a lot more you know he was the classic like I'm gonna get 10 points in the Champions League group stages and then I'll see you in the spring like he he was not like yeah I mean those teams had John O'Shea West Brown yeah with, like pl- Darren Fletcher I, 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 there's there's like there are games where you go see that's like Man- Manchester United versus Arsenal Premier League games from, you know, 7 years ago and he's playing like four defensive midfielders, yeah. you know, at, <laughs> at at Highbury or Emirates. So, it's not like he was necessarily playing 2-0-7 two, two, formations, no. <laughs> but but I think that Mourinho does not seem Entirely comfortable with United being his team. I asked you guys uh, uh, offline, you know, what do you think of as Mourinho's team? And to some, you know, like, what will be the team that you most associate with him? And Donnie, you said Chelsea, obviously, and I think that we'll always think of him that way. But that inter team to me is like the Mourinho team. It's veterans, it's like a real mixture of nationalities, all veterans, and they're all doing exactly what he tells them to do. And if they have to go and destroy and nullify Barcelona, then they will do it with yeah. Samuel Eto'o playing fullback.
0: Yeah, I I agree. That's that's who I... Because that is kind of like the flawless uh, Mourinho a Platonic experience. ideal. Yeah, right. But with it was part, partially flawless because like Juventus was still coming back from mm-hmm. what they were struggling from. And it was like, so Mourinho got the better of Barcelona, right? But that was over two legs if he was in a league with that Barcelona team.
2: So you you're know. saying that Mourinho should coach Bayern then? <laughs> <laughs> so that he can
0: have no distractions in the domestic league. No, he, sh- he should go to uh, Barcelona um, <laughs> after uh, Ernesto Valverde wins the treble this year.
1: Okay. USMNT.
0: <laughs> we can only hope um, once Sean Deitch leads us to the World Cup, Mourinho can take over. Um, okay, third overreaction is Arsenal should sell Alexis Sanchez ASAP. I don't even know if this is an overreaction.
1: Donnie? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if 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 they can unload them, they should sell them for sure. Uh, but you know, like I think it's, you know, why don't you set up for a little bit for us? Because like I think that this is the the op- the opposite
2: of the continuous. situation, yeah. where this has gotten this is something that could have been settled in the summer, but has cons- just proceeded to get worse and worse, even 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 by Arsenal standards.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Sanchez came to Arsenal in what July of 2014. He had a four-year contract at that point, so it expires this summer. And knowing that uh, and knowing that he wanted to leave, Arsenal tried to sell him this summer to Manchester City. The deal broke down. There was talk about it being an exchange, possibly for Raheem Sterling. Whatever the case may be, the deal fell through, but since then, since August, it's just been pretty much understood that Alexis wants to leave. Uh, If not in January, then definitely in the summer. But obviously, if he leaves in the summer after his contract expires, then Arsenal can't recoup any of the money they paid for him, which was 35 million pounds four years ago. So, uh, The fact that he could just walk away for free uh, is causing some unrest amongst the Arsenal fans. And also, because he has essentially made it clear that he doesn't want to be there, um there have been reports of bust ups and kind of friction amongst the team because when one of the guys wants out and it's clear to everybody that he does, you know, it creates some tension.
2: Yeah, it sounds like he's a dick. Let's we I mean, don't have to put too fun of a point on it. I mean, it sounds like he is making a bad situation worse. Just the rumor mill churning about like the way I think he and Ox had some beef that that might have precipitated or at least was not helping Ox in terms of deciding whether or not he wanted to resign with Arsenal or move on. I don't know. Well, if I that... mean,
1: he's a, he's a dick, definitely. Thierry Henry was a dick. <laughs> yeah, I think, sure. That's uh, true. But, but I think the thing Rohingy is, he like, was a dick. I'm not saying you can't win with dicks. I'm saying that. Well, I will say this: it's not like it's to me, to my eyes, it hasn't he, it hasn't affected his performance. I mean, he hasn't been the greatest. He hasn't been the peak Alexis this season, but he doesn't lack for effort, and, and that would be the telltale sign that someone is really, you know. Disengaged. If, yeah. if you see them not running around and trying,
0: yeah, I think I think Sanchez. You know, he's got seven goals, three assists. He, he's, you know, the they beat Crystal Palace essentially because they have Alexi Sanchez. He finishes two chances. Um, that few people can finish as easily as he did, and then it's just such a weird dissonance, though, because like what we're, we're talking about is like his teammates mainly didn't want to celebrate with him, so it's and, like... and yeah you know
1: to be fair though that was you know after he scored against West Brom on that free kick, the whole team celebrated with him minus check I mean maybe that could have been a reaction to the you know uproar over his teammates allegedly not celebrating with him when in fact it was debunked, they all kind of gave him a high five, but whatever the case is, here's my question to you guys like they paid thirty five million for him in two thousand fourteen you know it it would be probably bad um, transfer strategy to not get any money for him but isn't it fair to say that they got 35 million pounds worth of him over the last four years and for a player to just have his contract expire and leave isn't always insane it's just kind of something that happens
0: I mean, they definitely got $35 million worth of him. But, I mean, at the same time, they're, you know, we got to include what they're paying him per year also yeah, true, on true, salary. But all,
1: and the, the question, too, is how much can they get for him, even in the summer? I mean, I guess they were talking about like $50 They were talking about
0: $60 million from City yeah, in the summer. and the, he's not young. That's the thing. So that price for him is actually, that seems very good to me. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's fine to... Let his contract run out and get all of the value you can from him on the field. But what is your what is your goal? And you need if his teammates hate him, that's like that affects
1: the team in some I way. I don't think the teammates hate him though. To be honest, I, I mean, don't think they. Hate, I don't know if they hate him, but I think conjecture. that he
2: is weirdly it, n- this Arsenal team to me is like they're they're good guys like they they yeah. seem like they all like each other they all pat each other on the back there is some recrimination from time to time but sanchez is like that kind of like point his finger at your chest and scream in your face if you miss if he gives you if he passes to you and you shoot and you don't shoot he's going to scream in your face if yeah. you if he feels like he's got separation from a defender and you miss Hitting him on the break, he's going to scream in your face. All the great strikers. And when do they that fucking goal. screw up and they give up bad goals or like there's just boneheaded mistakes and they drop three points, he's going to scream in your face. And yes, all the greats, and the, Arsenal probably could use three or four more players like him, but instead he's on an island and probably all those guys know he wants to leave. But at the end of the day, I think that this is going to come down. We're going to look back on this three or four season run of Arsenal and just really like, bemoan the missed opportunity that they had to really For get sure. a foothold because of the Wenger situation. And Wenger's talked about how like the uncertainty over his contract and whether or not he was staying or whether or not he was gonna go to PSG or the French National team or whatever. Like it really screwed up the development of what this roster was going to be and they've made like that the, the the weird like last second January buys to try to make a run for fourth it's just not a plan. Yeah, that that's the
0: my biggest issue with this. There there's a world where you tell Sanchez, "Hey, we're going to just keep you," you know. Mm-hmm. But instead every report says they were scrambling to sell him at the last minute in over the summer, which I don't understand. You should know whether or not you're going to sell him coming into the summer, right? And then You know, now it's his contract's running out, Ozil's contract's running out. Yes, you can buy players to replace them, but you don't have the money you're getting for those players. Um, And I think they're going to realize it's it's hard enough to replace a superstar-level player, as we've seen every time someone leaves a team, whether it's Gareth Bale. As they've left
2: Arsenal multiple times, Van Persie,
0: Fabregas, yeah. It's extremely hard to do that. With the loads of money you get for those players, it's going to be even harder to do that without any transfer money and with this cloud hanging over the club where we don't know what, how long Wenger's going to be there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the indecisiveness is infuriating and the lack of foresight, I guess, or long-term planning. And I agree with you, Chris. A lot of it has to do with, with Wenger and and uh, his situation and how that's always kind of nebulous.
2: They seem to be building like a, a shadow... Front office there yeah. in, in preparation for his eventual exit. Yeah, but it it the question is if they miss this Champions League again, and they it, it, you know are they going to put themselves in a position where they're not an attractive destination?
0: Yeah, we'll just have to see. And I mean, because they have Sanchez, because they have Ozil, still they do you know
1: have a chance to beat Chelsea this week. Also, um, and or, I think gun, gun to head Alexis is going to end up staying <laughs> and leaving on a free, you know, in the summer.
2: Yeah. he'll probably get better wages that I mean, way he, he
0: can sign with any team he wants yeah. actually right now which is another weird quirk of this system
1: um, alright we're going
0: to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about um, all of the teams outside of the top six this week's show is brought to you by Ringer University Ben Glixman and Roger Sherman are breaking down the college football playoffs and making their predictions for the college football championship make sure to subscribe to Ringer University on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back Now that we've talked about Man U, Liverpool, Arsenal, it's time to talk about the teams that just don't get any respect. We need a nickname for these teams. I don't know what it should be. If it was just 12, it could be the Dirty Dozen. Yeah, but it's 14. I know. The the 14 teams outside of the top six. Do you have any suggestions, Donnie? Uh,
1: The Vincibles? (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Let's do that. that.
0: The Vincibles. So what we want to talk about here is that we still have no idea, really, who the best team is outside of the top six. And it seems like there are, what, ten teams at, in danger of getting relegated this season? There's one team, it's Leicester, who have a positive goal differential outside of the top six, and they didn't have that until uh, they thumped Huddersfield yesterday. So, to me, this all looks like, you know a massive failure (laughs) across the league that no team has been able to really sort of solidify itself with all of the money that we know these teams get and all of the purchasing power these teams have compared to a lot of the good very good teams across Europe West Ham, Stoke are spending the same amount of money Mm -hmm. as those teams, can pay their players more and yet we have this morass of essentially mediocrity Um, other than maybe Burnley, is anyone outside of the top six having a successful season in it? in any way you
2: define that word. I would say that Leicester is having an enjoyable se- mm-hmm. season. I st- I mean obviously they still have the cover of winning the fucking Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that they are they are in a good good spot in terms of the of like how the probably the crowd feels about how their fans Mm -hmm. feel about them and just the general atmosphere around the club. And I also think that they have gotten back to playing the way that I think that they play best, which is um, on the counter with Marez and Vardy, and I love Damari Gray. And I really, really wanted to take a second just to talk about one of my new favorite Premier League players, Harry Maguire, (laughs) who had himself quite a festive season. If you don't know who Harry Maguire is, he plays center back for Leicester, I hope he is the captain of England this summer. <laughs> he definitely looks like the kid in high school, like the big kid who you could talk into stealing a car. And then there would be like, uh, that. there would be like a sort of Paul cast over the rest of the high school year because like he got arrested and who was going to step up to take responsibility for doing that. He just looks like, A big galumph But he loves going forward He is like Like a taller Phil Jones He's like David Luiz Yeah he's nuts He's just like Like a charging up field Uh, He scored the, The The Equalizer against United, yep. right? And I don't know. He's he's been a lot of fun, but I I still just think Leicester will be fine. I, I know that they had some problems, but Puel seems like the perfect manager. Like classy European manager who knows how to put guys in the right positions, and they'll 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 be fine. So I, I'm not worried about them. I think they're the best team outside the top six too. Who do you think, Donny?
1: Is the best team out of the top six outside of the outside you, top six? Do you think six? any
2: team is?
0: Who's having a successful season, basically, outside of the top six in well, your Well, I mean,
1: I, it's all relative, obviously, but I think that the the promoted teams um, are not in the relegation zone in the new year, and I think that's that's something, you know? Huddersfield mm-hmm. uh, and Brighton, I don't think, can be too disappointed at where they stand. I mean, Newcastle's had a very tumultuous conversation. Uh, couple years, I guess, but they're not in the in the relegation zone either. I mean, it's fine margins, but... I just feel like if Newcastle isn't
2: by players in January, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, because Rafa's going to leave.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> you know... yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Th- th- This morass of mediocrity as you, as you put it, Ryan, is not new this year, right? I mean... I true. just took a look at last year at January 1st, 2017. It was a, almost the same amount of points separating 9 and 20. Mm-hmm. Um... Sunderland and Hull city were really abject so they were you know it, it, it was tighter between like 9 and 17 I mean as opposed to this year where I think
2: that there's sometimes though with the end of the season once you secure safety there's a degree to which some teams go on autopilot so it kind of like corrupts that those numbers a little bit yeah. Do right. you know what I mean? Like once you'd say like, oh, we're mathematically safe, we're just going to cruise in and like just I don't want to get hurt before That's I could get sold. So like, yeah, you know, I think that sometimes teams give up points when they don't need to this towards
1: year the end of the, towards the end of the season. You mean? Yeah, because
2: like typically there's like an Everton Southampton, yeah. you know, Swansea tip, you know, used to be in that group. So Stoke used to be in that group of like we're consolidated, we're the middle class. Like we may like lose three on the bounce at the end of the season, but that's just because like everybody is already thinking about going to
1: Majorca. It's not because yeah. Yeah, we're no, actually... I was talking about the table last year at this on this day. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think I agree with Leicester being the class of the rest of the league, and I think what what we saw with them is they just, I think they got unlucky. Uh, in Ranieri's second season. They got rid of him. Somehow Shakespeare con- convinced them that he deserved to be a full-time manager, and that was just a terrible decision. They bring in Puel, who's just he's just good. He's good at his job, and sort of has organized the team. And now they're... I don't think anyone... Any of the top six teams want to play Leicester. Like, that's a game mm-hmm. you really aren't looking forward to, because give them one or two chances, Vardy, Marez can split you open, and... You know, create a tap in basically as we saw against Liverpool. Um, so I think their like sort of temporary blip was because they didn't have really the right manager. Um, but everyone else beyond that, I know Chris, you're fascinated
2: by Swansea. Yeah. I mean, this is the idea that uh, these teams, as they come into the Premier League or as they try to solidify themselves as like in the in top tier, that there is almost more momentum on the rise than there is. On, in the plateau, mm-hmm. so Swansea came into the league about five six years ago, I think. And uh, under Brendan Rodgers, they got the third. They they won promotion against Reading uh, at Wembley and came into the league and were really like a lovely story. It was their first time. They'd almost been out of business ten years before that. They'd risen through the leagues. They uh, played a kind of very of the moment ticataca possession style football, which was really nice to watch. Like a team try to usually typically with. Promoted teams and with teams of lesser talent, they try to play defensive football and go route one and like just try to steal points wherever they can. Whereas Swansea, I don't necessarily know if they were threatening top six teams all the time, but they tried to beat you with possession and they tried to stay safe with possession. And they had a certain Spanish quality to them. They had a lot of Spanish players on the team. And I think ever since, I guess, you know, the departure, whether it's like of, I guess, of Loudrip, you know, Monk played some good stuff, but when, when Loudrip left, They've just kind of gone through uh, a series of managers, Gary Monk, Bob Bradley, Paul Clement, others interim, in the interim and they have had some weird financial problems that forced them to have a, they had a sale and now the new en- owners uh, two American owners, I think it's Jason Levine, right? Is one of them. Yeah. Uh they can cover the expenses of Swansea and essentially uh, float this team if it goes down, but there's no money for players that isn't paid for by sales. Yeah, and they've run out of guys who are valuable now. Well, yeah, and that's why Alfie Mawson's <laughs> probably gonna get sold, right? Like they've run out of all the players that might have been attractive to other teams.
0: Yeah, and then you need they're in last. They've been the worst team this season, in my opinion. Um, beyond the points accrued, and you just you can't s- sell your best like. You can't on the fly sell your best player and rebuild and then also avoid relegation. Yeah, isn't
2: Tammy Abraham on loan anyway?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's like... You know, R- Renato Sanchez is on loan, too. Right. Um, and maybe the less said about that, the better. So even
2: if they get 25 or $30 for for Mawson, that, what are I mean, you going to do with nothing, that? Nothing. You can't do anything with and that in uh, 2017, The thing I think about Swansea is that
0: they had a plan, at least for a while, and it worked. And they got as high up as, what, eighth, seventh or eighth? Yeah, they finished season. Eighth. Um, and they just they just knew what they were and that that should be enough, just looking at the rest of the league. I don't know, other than Burnley, how many of these teams have a clear plan of what they want to do
2: or what the goal should be. I mean, yeah, Swansea played Napoli in the Europa League in two thousand thirteen fourteen, which was arguably like their sort of like coming out party, this like great thing. And then the next year they finished eighth. Yeah. So you figure like, oh, okay, like this team could maybe make some cup runs, always be around seventh or eighth, get in the Europa League. Who knows if they come across like a Gareth Bale type figure, yeah. maybe they could they could jump into the top four some year. And it just seems like they ran out of guys to sell to keep the machine moving, and this is probably going to happen with Southampton too. Although they have, I think, a pretty storied academy, and they're really good at buying lower league players and developing. And they're, they can always account for Liverpool, just Liverpool, just give them seventy five million, million for whoever's starting at center every back every year.
0: Yeah. But I, the thing that I think Swansea's going to get relegated. Um, but the s- unfortunate thing about that is like they weren't riding like a superstar. Right at any point, really, they had a bunch of really good the, players. The, the God Mishu, yeah, that's. But that's what I'm saying. They had Mishu, you know. Mm-hmm. They had Lorente, yeah. Lorente. They had, Fred had Bonnie, yeah. Bo- Bonnie. They had Sigurdsson. None of these guys are like Gareth Bale type players, mm-hmm. and it seemed like they weren't relying on a superstar. And that's kind of the way that you sort of maintain your position, right? And then I think they probably just didn't. It's crazy to think that like Brendan Brendan Rodgers leaving like destroyed the club.
1: We're <laughs> not coming c- back. <laughs> how, just the what hell, like. how, the, how the hell did Swansea not get relegated last season though? Because again, looking at last year's table at this point, January first, two thousand seventeen, they had twelve points and were at, at at bottom of the table.
0: I think they they were able to score a little bit because of Lorente last year and Clement. Whether it was smoke and mirrors, whether he was doing anything, he actually fixed the defense. The problem this year is that. This team just can't score. They can't even generate any chances. And it's just,
2: it's like Middlesbrough last year. It's hard to see. Um, do, you get, do you understand what I'm saying, though, with the momentum thing, where it yeah. feels like Watford and Brighton and Huddersfield, or Watford and Huddersfield especially, have a degree. And this is narrative stuff, so I don't know how yeah. much this is real, but they have, like, a. we're in dreamland, we're moving forward. Like, Watford's taking it to teams in their in their gyms, you know what I mean? Like, it's really exciting. They, they've lost a few recently, yeah. and I think Silva will probably go next year. But that's, that club seems entirely built around developing and then moving on these players and that's the Pozzo way right this is the, the yeah. family in Italy that owns Watford that owns Udinese and that's their they're basically a business but they've got themselves a business that's in tenth place yeah that's true but then at the same time like Watford was
0: the worst team in the Premier League points wise in the second half of last season you know so right. in some ways it's like is it just Marco Silva is it just they just happened to find Richarlison
2: out of nowhere so maybe it's not about finding a Gareth Bale it's about finding a manager it's yeah. about finding that manager and keeping them in, involved as long as possible. Yeah, it's but Watford David but changes
1: managers as frequently as any other club. But now.
2: Silva's so much better than Walter Mazzari, though. Yeah. In the Premier League.
0: Speaking of managers, another team that, to me, they should be way better than they are just from the amount of talent they have. And they have, they at least have an approach, it seems, which is by guys with a pedigree um, who failed elsewhere, which, you know, it's a... Essentially, what Arsenal did with Sanchez and Ozil, just to a much lesser degree, um, and that's Stoke. And they've—they're the worst defensive team in the league by far. I mean, they're in the midst of a relegation. Was that an fight. Arsenal
1: jab? Ryan?
0: No, that was.
1: I. What, what team strategy isn't buying players of pedigree?
0: I mean, how many teams in the league have like? multiple guys that have won the Champions League. You know, that's just not a thing. You like know, these... I
1: get it with Stoke, I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, I, carry on.
0: Um, and yet, like, the talent is not anywhere close to the results. And essentially, since Mark Hughes has been their manager, they've averaged one
2: win per month, which is just kind of pathetic, in my opinion. Who would you rather have managing Stoke right now? Do you think Rafa would make Stoke a top-six team?
0: Not top-six, but I think he could he would consolidate them as one of the best teams outside of the top six, which once you consolidate your position as the eighth best team, say, you have a year where like Hesse runs really hot and Mm -hmm. scores like 10 goals or something, you know, and you bounce up the table. I think that's sort of what the goal is for all these teams. You're never going to, I don't think any of them have a chance really of consistently being in the top six, but getting close enough that a couple things go your way and you get in there, I think is what the goal should be, right?
2: Absolutely. I just I, I, I it's it seems to me now the more that we talk about this, the more I'm wondering about whether this just comes down to management at the end of the day. Yeah. Because well, Deich had... has a group of like chimney sweeps playing top <laughs> eight football yeah. and basically giving hell to everybody who they play. And Mark Hughes can't win games even though he has Shakiri.
0: Yeah. Well I think the thing that doesn't it doesn't apply to Liverpool Tottenham Arsenal. They don't have to worry about their managers for the most part leaving in the same way they have to worry about maybe their best players leaving. All these other teams, if they find a great manager, the guy's going to leave. So they have to be planning for the replacement of the manager. They need to know guys that have a similar profile, mm-hmm. um, which is something that Southampton has historically been lauded for, but now it seems like they've run out of luck. Pellegrini or Pellegrino isn't doing a good job yeah. um, compared to Puel, but. It's, it's a tough situation because you, state, figuring out what your ambition is is hard and defining that. But it, it really just does seem to me like there should be a couple teams that are just doing it more consistently. Um, all right, before we head out, we're going to play January transfer matchmaker real quick. I want to know which player to which team is the ideal January match. Chris? I'm going to
2: say uh, Alexis Sanchez to Napoli. Uh, I would (laughs) like to see him play in that offense. Uh, They would be cup-tied. He would be cup-tied in the Europa League hilariously, so he wouldn't really give them a European boost. (laughs) But they are in a battle for the Scudetto with Juventus. They haven't won I think since 89? Yeah, Maradona, right? right? Yeah, and... um, this is a great team that will inevitably get feasted on by the bigger squads after in the summer transfer market. I just can't imagine that they're going to allow like Insigne or Mertens or yeah. Georgino or I could see them losing six players mm-hmm. in the summer. So this would basically be sunk cost. But if you just go to go to Sanchez and just are like, hey, you want to win the Scudetto? Yeah. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. I'm sure that he's got eyes on bigger bigger prizes than that. The other one that I had that I had in there uh, just that was. I think would help this team is Ericsson to Manchester United not to destroy Tottenham's hopes and dreams, but I feel like he is the like the Modric, Modric figure that United need to sometimes break down teams that are that are standing in front of them. Yeah, but and at the same time it
0: weakens Tottenham, which is like a, what a team like Manu can do. Yes, you know with yeah. their their transfer strategy. How does that Sanchez to Napoli rumor make you feel, Donnie?
1: Uh, I mean, I like Napoli's kits. Better Better, better <laughs> like that than Sanchez kits. to City, right? And him <laughs> lifting a
2: trophy, like, look what I did.
1: I kind of want to see him go to City just for the, the pantomime villain, you know, that part of the narrative that could play out like and make and make the matches really heated.
2: I have to be night. completely honest. If I was Pep, I'd rather have Zaha than Sanchez. Because I just feel like the the boost you get from turning Zaha and Sterling into the great like yeah. ribbery Robin figures would be so much bigger than Elias oh, Sanchez and he replaced it Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> I, I feel like if Sanchez goes to City, like City most likely
0: is going to have a downturn at some point for a little bit. Well, he'll start pointing and his finger at KDB blame, yeah. and being like, you got to hit me exactly. on the bridge." <laughs> like Sanchez is going to get upset or we can all blame it on Sanchez for why... Uh, Man City didn't become the Invincibles so maybe he's a rogue agent for Arsenal Donnie's still (laughs) who's your dream matchup Uh,
1: well ideally you know my dream transfer would be Ndidi from Leicester to the Arsenal and then to make room for him Xhaka to New England Revolution.
2: (laughs) Xhaka should have been kicking for Oklahoma last night.
1: (laughs) But as far as, you know, I think an ideal situation for a player that's actually an Arsenal player now, Theo Walcott, would be to go to basically any team in the Premiership that has 20 or fewer goals this season, which includes Huddersfield, Brighton, Newcastle, Southampton, Palace, Albion, Swansea. Uh, Theo's just been riding on the bench. He actually has six goals this season just in the Carabao and the, and the Europa League. But he's healthy. He's scored 19 goals last season. He can score goals. If Arsene's not going to use him, I mean, of course, th- he's just going to end up riding on the bench and, and leaving at some point, but uh, he's he's worth something. And uh, he is, you know, he's the type of player that can make a difference for one of these teams that are having really dif- difficulty scoring, so... He should move, you know, maybe back to Southampton could be a good move for him, but... I'm sure uh, he wants he, to just play, also, yeah. ahead of the World Cup. I mean, there's no way he's going to make it to the World Cup at this point, but I think he... People said the same thing in 2006.
0: <laughs> true indeed. <laughs> true indeed. It would be fascinating to see him on, like, Burnley.
2: I was just thinking, like, yeah, I would like to meet or <laughs> he's, maybe, he's like, back, too dark. join yeah, up with Hodgson so at Palace. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but New, Newcastle United—it's not a bad shot for that because I think you know, like it. For him, he's he gonna be paid playing in, in fr- sports direct stock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But he'll he'll still be going to like a, a quote unquote big club and playing in front of a big crowd. So, well, Ryan, what's yours?
0: Mine is Daniel Sturridge to Valencia.
1: Do you think Valencia Valencia can't
2: catch Barça though, right?
0: No, okay. absolutely not. But they can solidify a Champions League spot, I think, and. Sturridge, I love him. He's one of my favorite players. Is he players. hurt right now? I don't even know. I think. <laughs> like, how could
2: he not get any playing time over the festive season? I think he is injured, but he's always injured, so it's. That's what I of was going to say. Well, I think right. the, and the issue also is that Klopp is like, I can't trust you, right?
0: Yeah, and I think it's he's a he creates a lot of chances both for himself and his teammates, but he's a very like we saw. I think the Chelsea game might have been the last game he played. It's a lot of hero ball, not not even hero ball. It's not selfish, but when. He gets the ball. The attack sort of grinds to a halt. Yeah, and he usually creates something some way, but it's not the free flowing, just Salah, Firmino, Mane running into the box, just barrage of chances. And I don't think Klopp likes that. And Sturridge also isn't the greatest pressing player because he's going to blow his hamstring out. Right? Exactly. Um, and it would be fun to see Sturridge one get some more consistent playing time. And it would be fun. We've talked about this. It's just fun to see English players not playing in England. Um. <laughs> and then seeing him sync up with uh, Simone Zaza would also be a lifetime
2: uh, dream achieved of yeah. mine. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the market in general? Because I know that you had some thoughts before we went about like the idea of this being a World Cup year. Yeah, so just really quick. I think Sturridge, is, that's
0: one of the... Sturridge and even Walcott a little bit. Uh, I think we'll probably see a lot of bigger names moving. Bigger names, maybe not bigger quality at this point, but bigger names moving this window because there are a lot of guys that want to play at the World Cup. and Probably have like shoe deals that have incentives. Yeah, and you're not going to get called up to a World Cup if you're not playing um, just because the competition is just so Southgate's high.
2: like challenge accepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My starting line well, like Sturge and Walcott <laughs> forward line. Yeah, uh, F- Fabian Delph
0: now, you know, after like three years of not playing at all, he's playing all the time and might... Actually, play in the World Cup, um, but I think I think we're going to see a lot of guys agitating for moves. Not probably not even permanent moves. I think the Sturridge move would probably be alone if it happened. Um, and I think, you know, the Van Dyke thing is kind of crazy that that happened, but that's a spillover from the summer. And same with Coutinho if that ends up happening. Um, but I think a ton of guys are going to want to move, um, maybe to situations they wouldn't normally move to long term. Interesting.
2: Um, so they can play in the World Cup. It's gonna be a very curious January because I feel like a couple of the major leagues in Europe, with the exception of Italy, are more or less wrapped up, right? Like, yeah,
0: they basically basically all are.
2: Yeah, Italy, except for Italy, and even more so. I don't know. You know, Donnie, do you see a late January Arsenal spending spree to jump into the top four like we did when they? What was that? They've they've done a couple of last minute like oh no we need to buy Arteta and, and three other yeah dudes. that
1: was in August I mean January typically Wenger doesn't do much yeah I mean did we they have, they, like, they didn't buy King anyone Kallstrom.
0: they didn't <laughs> like the year that they I think at this point were they in first in the Premier League the year Leicester won or they were right near it they didn't add anyone that winter right when that would have been the like
2: oh right because he had somebody coming back who was going to be like re yeah, signing right but they, <laughs> that would
0: have been like the clear window to buy someone because it's like we could win the league we right. just need to add one more guy. Right, Donnie? I don't think anyone came in then. The team that needs to buy is Spurs.
2: The team that needs people is Spurs, and I just don't know if they I don't I I just have no idea what's going on with them. Like I just don't know what the plan is there. And I really think that this is gonna be the summer of the vultures for Spurs. Yeah. Because I just think that all these guys are just so aware of what the the fees that other people are going for, the wages that other people are making. Carrie yeah. Kane is probably the best striker in Europe right now, and like he just can't sit there and like not make three times more money at Manchester United or yeah. Wherever. And
0: you can only ignore it for so for so long, but I, I think Spurs can probably
2: get through January. Um, Do you think they'll be in the top? Will they really finish in the top four without reinforcing though? Uh, I still think they will. Um, that that is predicated on
0: Man U continuing to plummet, though. Um, but we'll see if that happens. We'll also we'll keep talking about transfers throughout the rest of January. Um, we're glad you guys are back with us for 2018. So for Donnie, for Chris, I'm Ryan. We'll see you next week.